Hello and welcome to the latest of the Poetry P Readings podcast. My name is Patricia and I'm very happy today to be joined by Vindana Parashar, who is joining us from Northern India, where she lives with her husband and two daughters. She's a microbiologist, a teacher, and not surprising, given what we're talking about today, she's a haiku enthusiast. Her love for brevity made her fall in love with haiku and related Japanese forms of poetry. And her work has been published in a number of journals, such as Cattails, A Hundred Gourds, Creatrix, Nad, Vandana, how do I pronounce this? Nad, Nad Anunak. Thank you. Sonic Boom, Prune Juice, Ashai Haikuist Network, Failed Haiku, Atoms of Haiku, Frameless Sky, Femku Magazine, and Humankind Journal. She's also had some haibun in haibun today. And of course, Vandana has written for Poetry P. She's one of my beloved editing team here at Poetry P, and I'm really grateful for all the work she and the team do behind the scenes to keep the podcast and the journal going. But she's not here as an editor. She's here because she's written a couple of chapbooks so far. The first one that I know of is I Am, and the one she's coming to read to us today is Alone, I Am Not. And details will be in the show notes, so do please go along and have a read, and perhaps buy Alone, I Am Not. And Dana, welcome to P Towers and Poetry P Readings. Thank you so much, Patricia, and a big thanks to everyone who has tuned in to listen. I'm honoured, truly honoured. Thank you. So before we go to the reading from Alone, I Am Not, I wanted to read a couple of my favourite of your poems. The first one reflects what Dr. Tim Gardner, former Tanker prose editor of Highbun Today and poetry editor of Suspect Device Punk Fan Scene says of the book. He says it is an excellent chapbook, well worth checking out for topical and political poetry. Now, this is the poem that I want to share, and it comes from Poetry P Journal 122. So a very recent one. As if no big deal, our kids call us brown parents. As if no big deal, our kids call us brown parents. Vandana, please tell us about this poem. And what do you want us to take away from reading it? Well, Patricia, I, I don't know really how this thing started. But all of a sudden, there has been a spurt in memes about Indian parents labeled as brown parents. And to be very honest, it came as a surprise and a bit of a shock that for a generation which prides itself on being so woke, it's, it's no big deal labeling their parents or stereotyping their parents based on their race. I felt like uh, we are being categorized like brown bread, brown bun, only not so healthy. So this scenario was my effort to convey to the kids that parents are parents, no matter white, black, brown, or yellow. We all love our children and we are very protective of them. We would like to be treated as the kids want themselves to be treated, like beautifully imperfect beings. Oh, I'm so pleased you, you, you spoke to all us parents and to all our children with that. Thank you very much. Nightfall, a splash of red between the doll's legs. Nightfall, a splash of red between the doll's legs. And that one comes from the first book, uh, chat book that I spoke of, I Am. Vandala, I think this one speaks of menstruation. And many women commence this era of their lives at such a young age, don't they? 
and your poem skillfully suggests this to me. The shock that many girls have when they begin their first period, particularly when they've not been prepared for it. And I wondered as I read through it, was that your intention? Uh, well, this is interesting, Patricia. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't write this with menstruation in mind. Oh, <laughs> My intent was a little darker oh. uh, to show child abuse. Oh, gosh. It all was just an illusion to tone it down. Mm -hmm. But uh, now that you've mentioned it, yes, this can be about periods too. And I've experienced this firsthand. You know, I, I grew up in a very conservative family and sex education, even talking about puberty in periods was a strict no-no. And so uh, when I first got mine, I was totally clueless. I was, I was too scared to tell my mom. So yes, we, we go through such incidences. But in this case, my intent was something a little darker. My intent was to show child abuse. Mm -hmm. So when I was writing this, nightfall seemed like an appropriate option, mm -hmm. obvious choice. Yeah. And, and it's not that these things don't happen during the day. It's mm -hmm. just that night feels more sinister. And I don't know, somehow all the pain, all the bad memories come to haunt you during the night. Mm. So when I was pinning it down, nightfall somehow seemed like the obvious choice, the most appropriate one. It does add that extra touch of menace to the, the poem. And that leads me to another question. The way you're talking, it suggests to me that in this particular instance, perhaps you had the, the phrase element before you came up with the fragment. Is that the case? There's no definite pattern, Patricia. It's, mm -hmm. it's not the matter of fragment or phrase. It's some word or some phrase I read somewhere, I, I hear somewhere, or it just strikes. Maybe I have read it somewhere earlier. So it just strikes and I write about it. But more often than not, it's the experiences which move me to write. Do you have a, a go-to technique that you use? Or again, because you're writing so spontaneously, is everything uh, spontaneous? I've been trying very hard ever since I've started writing haiku for about seven years to not to fall into any kind of trope. Okay. So I, I don't have any go-to technique. I prefer to focus on the image, but I'm a big proponent of a strong juxtaposition wherever possible. Okay. So that's the only thing I strive to achieve in my work, strong juxtaposition. Are you in the school then that says that the haiku scenario should have that juxtaposition? For haiku, yes. And I try in senryu too. I try to include it in my work as far as possible. I'm, I'm not on the same page with you on that one, but we'll, we'll save that for another discussion, maybe one of our editing <laughs> discussions. Uh, can we perhaps now go to the book that you're here to read, Alone I Am Not? Yes. Exorcism. Every time I say I am gay. Exorcism. Every time I say I am gay. Now, Vendana, given that you have a husband and two daughters, I don't think this poem comes from absolute direct personal experience. So where does a poem like this come from? You're right, Patricia. Uh, this does not come from my personal experience. As you and perhaps most people in the haiku community know that I'm an introvert, self-proclaimed introvert. Mm -hmm. Even as a child, 
I, I talked less, I observed more. Mm-hmm. And this trait has somehow stayed with me. And um, if I may say so, I'm very perceptive to human pain. And to a certain level, I can relate to it even if I am not the one experiencing it. When I was penning, the, penning this down, I was moved by the cases which I often hear in India, which I often read in newspapers, that families, especially in India, consider being gay as some sort of mental illness or a sign of being possessed by some evil spirit. And it breaks my heart to think, even think about what these people must be going through. Mm-hmm. So this haiku comes from that. You speak about uh, the situation in India. Do you see signs of change? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> and thankfully so. Do you sit down every day and write something or do you just take it as it comes? <laughs> um, see, Patricia, that's one thing I would definitely like to have a routine. But unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> um, sometimes I have to just push myself to write for a submission. And sometimes hype just strikes me out of nowhere. But um, I'm very sad to say that I don't sit and write daily like a disciplined poet. I, I want to, but I don't. And neither do I write everything I observe. For me to write anything, it needs to shake me up, force me to sit and pick up a pencil. And, and yes, I, I'm, I'm an old, I'm old school that way. I, I do prefer to write rather than to type every time, whenever it's possible. So yes, I would definitely like to have a schedule, have a routine, write daily. I dream about it, but I don't act on it. (laughs) We all dream about it. I'd love to carry a notebook, but I just, I don't have pockets big enough. So my phone's always with me. So if something strikes me, I'll write something in my phone and then transfer like you, I'm old school. I like pen and paper. I'll transfer it to a journal. If something strikes you when you're out and about, are you carrying this journal with you or pieces no. of paper? No, no. I note down the poems in my phone and then I come back home and note down in my diary. Um, and so when they're when they're down in your journal, when this this, this thought has, has struck you and you've got it down on pen and paper, are you one of these lucky people that just can can write and no editing required? Or how does that work with you? No, no, no. I'm not among those lucky ones. I edit my work a lot. A lot. And, and personally, I believe that revisiting your work in different moods gives new insight every time you visit the work. And that surely helps to fine-tune your work. Every time you come up with a different word, a synonym which, which can fit better into the haiku, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't submit on the deadline, on, uh, on the first day of the submission period. And most often I sit on my submissions till the deadline is just a throw away because I want to keep editing, keep editing, come up with something by which I am totally satisfied. I don't know about editors. I don't know about judges, but until I am totally satisfied, I won't send it away. When I send something and it gets rejected, I never worry too much because it hasn't got sent until Mm -hmm. I'm happy with it. And if I'm happy with it, that's, my main focus in life are you the same yes I do get disappointed a little to be very honest oh yeah I think that's true (laughs) yeah but but then I shortlist them for another submission so I redirect them again 
until it gets rejected one two three five six times then i discard it <laughs> and put do it you? away <laughs> yeah I do. there are so many discarded poems in my diary <laughs> oh bless i never discard mine i might put them away for another another year or so but they i can never let go totally because editors change and while you're doing all this do you have someone that you trust as a writing partner or are you you totally alone when you're writing uh, no i i don't have a writing partner i have written some collaborative poetry like renge split mm-hmm. sequence but i don't have a writing partner as i told you i am an introvert and i work alone <laughs> I heard the the introvert part and I thought oh I'm so grateful that you came along to do this then because that can't be very easy. Yes, yes. <laughs> but when you asked me though I was scared but I I I couldn't refuse you. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. I'm really I'm really truly honored and hopefully by the time we finish Smile. this you'll be thinking it's it wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know you have more poems to read to us. Let's have some more. Burnt pancake everyone jokes it looks like my face burnt pancake everyone jokes it looks like my face grafted rose slowly becoming what they want me to be grafted rose slowly becoming what they want me to be late blossom mom moves my bras to save for later late blossom mom moves my bras to save for later no i i love this treat this trio they all speak to me of my teenage years to me they cover different areas in which as a girl you could disappoint your parents or your community and the second and third are very very easy for me to relate to molding yourself to the expectations of that community at the expense of what you want and being a disappointment to your mum that late bloomer i can see her gently putting those bras aside knowing that she's a little despairing that you'll ever get to wear them or and and i can just feel the burden of that disappointment now i could be going in the wrong direction again how am i doing <laughs> or is it absolutely on the right track patricia <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs> see as we were talking before when we grew up social media was non-existent mm. and there was no awareness at all in the conservative society like ours yeah a woman's whole existence revolved around her home and her family yeah and you know the concepts of individualism feminism or even the casual sexism they were alien and at that time all a girl was supposed to do was look pretty and be a great cook and homemaker <laughs> that that was the only role they were supposed to play uh, to emphasize this here patricia if you allow me i would like to quote my monoku in the latest failed haiku issue my worth the roundness of my rooties my worth the roundness of my rooties so all we were supposed to do was cook good look pretty so since growing up i have faced all these issues so they came naturally to me i want to go back to the first one the burnt pancakes is it culturally specific yes patricia it is culturally specific and you know saying this gives me no pleasure mm-hmm. but 
it's the sad truth that Indians are obsessed with fair complexion. Mm. As a kid, I was what's called Vietish complexion. And at that time, it was considered not a very marriageable trait, you know. So I was always made aware one way or the other that although my features were very sharp and beautiful, but my complexion was dark. So this was the way it was said. Your, your features are very beautiful, but your complexion is dark. So that stayed in my mind forever, forever. Hmm. I thought that might be the case. I have friends who've told me the same story uh, about their their skin. I'm hoping to, if I ask this question, the answer will be yes. But is it changing? Yes. Slowly and slowly we are getting there. But our times were bad. I'll, I'll again emphasize that our times were bad. Yeah. But slowly the things are changing. I mean, this generation is getting better. This generation is getting a little more open-minded, more inclusive. Thank goodness for that. What a wonderful way to bring these ideas to the fore through this type of, of poem. It, it's so immediate for me. Now, we have some more. Burka. And yet, cat calls. Burka, and yet, cat calls. Dementors, the way they say I am just a housewife. Dementors, the way they say I am just a housewife. Vandana, these speak of prejudice to me. Could you tell us a little bit about the first one, Burka? Patricia, the first one is about the general perception that girls are teased or raped because how they dress Mm -hmm. or if I put it in a sexist language, how scantily or provocatively they are dressed. So it's very sad that the onus of a man's action is always put on a girl's dress or attitude. And yet the girls who wear burqa who are covered from head to toe they have to face the same thing. They are teased, they are raped, <clears throat> sorry, they are catcalled. So who is to be blamed then? It's not about the dress or the attitude. The onus of man's actions lie on, lies on them only. So it was an effort to show that, that even though a girl can be covered from head to toe, yet it's the men who choose to catcall her or tease her or rape her. It's not her fault. It's their fault. Yeah. Let's go on to this, the second one, the Dementors. And I don't know, did you mean this um, as a Harry Potter reference? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For those that don't know the, the Dementors from Harry Potter, they're horrible things that suck the life out of you, really. Or at least that's that's the way I see a Dementor. Yes, yes. And I thought, going back to your the idea of juxtaposition again, I thought this was a brilliant one. Dementors, the way they say I'm just a house. Personal experience, Patricia. I I left my job nine years back, mm-hmm. and after that, every time I meet somebody, they ask, "So now you stay at home? Oh. How do you pass your time?" And I feel like shaking them up and telling them, "Hello, have you ever entered lived the life of a housewife? If a woman does not go out to work." 
it doesn't mean she's lying around in the house you know doing nothing or watching soap operas and having the time of her life yeah. or passing the time as they call it and it's, it's actually not about the question but the tone they use to ask the question that makes you feel little and worthless yeah and all i have to say to them is dare to swap a day of your life with a housewife and then they'll see if you still want to ask that question that was brilliant thank you very much for for sticking up for us stay at home moms <laughs> or us us housewives let's move on and we have we've come to the last one i can't believe it another son up i am responsible for his actions again another son up i am responsible for his actions again after our discussion about the, the burka poem i changed my mind about what this this poem was about i felt there was some some menace in this this poem yes um, and when you said i am responsible for his actions again in my head uh, this was about a battered woman and you yes. know how often um i mean i i read I'm sort of the person who might see a story like that in the news and then go and research it a little bit more and find out what the the person who'd battered the woman was was saying and and often you hear the it goes back to what you were just saying actually often you hear well she was asking for it or you know she didn't do this properly or whatever and and violence ensued mm -hmm. so that's the way I took that one and particularly with with it being another sun up i could i could just see her this this woman waking up covered in bruises and and a not very confident woman either so she is feeling like she is responsible she is the reason why you know her actions are the reason why she was battered although there's a darkness i just wondered with the way you wrote another sun up was there a bit of hope in this this poem i i hope so patricia because uh, when i wrote this this was as much about mental violence as the physical one aha uh -huh. you know some people love to blame their actions on others like i told yeah about men who blame their actions on women mm -hmm. so like when this becomes a routine every day something or the other irritates them or irks them and then they get abusive or violent or just yeah. gaslight you and it breaks you in every possible way you feel as if you're doing everything wrong and whatever is going bad in your life it's your fault so this sendru is a gentle reminder from my side to everyone who's facing this that it's not your fault the responsibility of one's actions lies with them and only them irrespective of the gender or respect irrespective of the race i thought that was quite powerful vandana they're beautiful pieces of work and very very strong and you said previously that whether it's your introverted character or or just something in your psyche that you can feel the pain of others you em empathize with with the pain of others and i wonder if writing these works these pieces does it give you any relief from the pain that you're feeling yes 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 these poems not only give me an outlet but they are cathartic and in some way 
they help me become more empathetic. As I told you, Patricia, I have two daughters and I want to lead by example. Having said that, I must confess that I'm not perfect. And no. I'm not as strong as, uh, you know, uh, come across, as I come across after reading my poems. I'm not that strong. I'm not an activist. I'm not that strong. Mm-hmm. But I've experienced my fair share of prejudices. And I was made to believe that it's normal. It is not. It is not normal. But I don't want these same experiences for my daughters. Mm. So speaking about these experiences, they strengthen me. They, they help me find a strength to stand up for my daughters. Because I definitely want them to grow in a better world, in a safe world, and in an equal world. Yes, I think that's uh, something, again, that we share. We spoke before we started to record about our daughters and um, how we don't want them to experience some of the prejudices that we experienced when Mm -hmm. we were growing up and going out into the world and um, making a mark in this world. And I wonder, do do your daughters read your work? Yes, they do. And they're very proud. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, what's the feedback? That's that's wonderful. In fact, uh, the cover page of my uh, book, Alone I Am Not, was done by my elder daughter only. Oh, wow. She made the cover art. Oh, it's, well, you can tell her it's a beautiful cover. And uh, she did she did a wonderful job for you. Thank you. <laughs> Just before you go, we've talked about your editing process and, and the, the way you work and craft your work. But, you know, although you talked about the spontaneity of of writing or coming up with ideas you have said that you edit quite a lot but in order to be able to do that you must have educated yourself quite thoroughly or given yourself an education in haiku and and the related forms of course what is that educate what does that haiku education look like in your case Patricia, I was introduced to haiku by one of my former students who had attended Kala's workshop. And um, Kala welcomed me in Triveni Facebook group despite my knowing absolutely nothing about it. I knew nothing about haiku seven years back. And the student of mine, he attended Kala's workshop and he told me about haiku. And I was so fascinated by the ability to say so much and so less word. And as I told you, I'm an introvert. I, I don't like talking much. So the using lesser word was a big charm to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I cannot write free verse, but I can write haiku because I don't have to say that much. And then I read poems written by the others, posted by others in the Facebook group. I read journals and uh, gradually I gathered enough courage to post my own. The feedback of the members, the feedback of the fellow poets, they helped me fine tune and I, I learned the nuances from the feedback. That just sums up my haiku education. I've not attended any workshop, I've not attended any course, and neither was haiku in our school or college courses. I just believe that uh, learn as you go, and I'm a learner for life. Oh, yeah, me too. And I have to learn more. <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you mentioned it. What is it called? The, the Traveni Facebook group. Yeah. It's now Traveni Haikai India website. We have yes. shifted to a website. 
Yes, I've got the details. I'll put those in the show notes. I'm not in the Facebook group because I don't do Facebook. But I'm also deactivated by Facebook, so I'm not on Facebook anymore. Um, so that that was it for today. I, I want to thank you very, very much, Vandana, for coming along and talking to us and reading your work for us. It, very, very powerful messages in your work. Something you. that I support wholly. Um, I suspect if if we'd grown up in in school together, we'd have been great friends and doing the same. <laughs> we still are. We still are. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. We just came to it late. We can fight the good fight. Uh, yes. Going, definitely. Going forward. <laughs> and uh, just to remind people that they should go to the show notes for this episode, and they can find details of both your chapbooks, I Am and Alone I Am Not, and how to get hold of them, how to buy them. And I hope they enjoy them. I'm sure they'll enjoy them. And I thank you once again, Pandana, for coming along. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Patricia. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.